0: Adjust
1: the volume, return to a same distance, Let's get down. Come on, y'all, it's time to rise up, get your hands up. we taking over the game, and if you're looking for change, I suggest you do the same. Welcome to another edition of Point in the Paint. The day after the Spurs capture championship number five, their first in seven years since 2007, Tim Duncan, Greg Popovich, get one for the thumb. Kawhi Leonard, the youngest Finals MVP since Tim Duncan. Surprise, surprise. Here to talk about it, as usual. Great freelancer here at The Score. You can read him on The Score app. Andrew Unterberger. Andrew, what's up?
0: How much, man? Oh. At long last, here we are.
1: Yes. How you doing? At, at long last. It's crazy how quickly this season uh, flew by, it seems. Yeah. But uh, I guess the older you get, the quicker each year goes by. Uh, what do you think of the Finals? I know... In a way, it was kind of disappointing, because I think a lot of people wanted you know, this, this rematch of last year's Instant Classic. Were you disappointed by the routes, or were you still able to enjoy the games?
0: Well, I, I was certainly still able to enjoy them. I think that anybody watching had to have enjoyed seeing the Spurs play at, at that high a level. I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever seen a, a team play that well on, on both sides in the finals, against, especially against a team as, as formidable as the Heat were, the two-time defending champions. I think there, there were just so many moments in the series. Like, I remember it just made, made me gasp, made me scream, and he'd just jump out of my chair. You know, the, uh, the quiet winner put back dunk, or, you know, the alley-oop that, that Dio threw to him at the end of the series, or how about Man, who's, the how about Man who's How about
1: Manu's posterization right? of Bosch?
0: Yeah, and then the the of Manu thing. Nobody would have saw that coming. And there were just so many. I feel like every every game had at least one of those moments. And it was just basketball on a level that we, we see so rarely. And then we don't think we ever would have expected to see any these finals. You know, I think we, we all went into this series thinking, okay, you know, here are the two-time defending champions. The Spurs played the best basketball all year. They had this epic series last year. No matter what, we're going to get this incredible series. It's going to be close. There's going to be games coming down at the wire. It's got, I, I thought it was going to be one of those back and forth. You know, the Heat win one and the Spurs win one and the Heat and the Spurs. And that, it was the only thing we knew for sure was that it was going to be a close series. Instead, we got the biggest route in finals history. And that's, that's incredible.
1: Yeah, in a way, I almost feel like maybe we should have... I mean, I don't know if we should have seen this coming. The Spurs outscored them by 74 over the over the course of the series. But I think maybe it was a little bit of wishful thinking on our part and pretty much all fans' part to expect anything like last year. I mean, last year was one of those like once-in-a-generation type finals, how close it was, and uh, this great Epic 7 gamer. But whereas this year, I think going in... I think we all looked at it as like, okay, the Heat are two-time defending champs, and LeBron is LeBron, so even though all the numbers suggest the Spurs are the vastly superior team, it's like we almost just assumed, well, the Heat are going to find a way to keep it close, when really, yeah, you look at it, you know, they were, uh, they were outside of the top 10 in defensive efficiency all season. Their defense struggled uh, against teams like Brooklyn and Indiana and Charlotte in the playoffs, who are by no means offensive juggernauts. If anything, they're probably like bottom 10 offensive teams. Whereas the Spurs had really kind of picked up steam Probably since about the middle of the Mavericks series And had been the best team all year So I think if you would have just looked at the numbers Say on paper of the, like the Spurs Versus the Heat and not even known Who the two teams were or which players Were on each team I think most people would say Oh like team A that that, that team's Going to win in a route every day of the week But because it was the Heat and because it was LeBron And because they're the champions I think we just kind of Assumed they would give them this good series Even though the numbers indicated they shouldn't have
0: yeah, I mean you're probably right about that. Uh, as I remember watching that Charlotte series in Miami, I think it was, I remember game two where Charlotte kept it really close, and the heats couldn't protect the rim, and uh, their role players were showing up. and I, I thought to myself, there's, there's no way this team would going have the horses to to make it to the finals and and and, and beat whoever came out of the West. Uh, but as this, as the playoffs went on, and you know they kind of swept their way through the East, and they did dismantle the Pacers at the end of that series if they didn't have that one weird LeBron game with the foul trouble, you know, the, the, that could have been a 4-1 series and that, that would have been a, a pretty dramatic point differential there too. And then, uh, you know, Rashard Lewis started stepping up and Ray Allen looked like Ray Allen again and he had that, that series winner against the Nets and LeBron was LeBron and, you know, he was the, clearly, I think, the best player in these playoffs. He had, I think, by far the highest PR of anybody and, you know, he outplayed Durant in his conference uh, and, and just, it seemed like okay, yeah. yeah I mean, maybe you know, the Heat didn't show us all season that they were really a finals con- that, 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 that they should it was the final favorite. You know, they had a, such a, a worse regular season record wise than the year before, and they started to flip the playoffs. But there's still the Heat. Maybe they've just been kind of saving their final gear for this, this final series, and they end up peaking at the right time. And, you know, you saw LeBron did in game two against the Spurs. He basically beat them on their on his own, just, just jacking long twos and you know, shots that would have been ill-advised coming from anybody else because it was LeBron. It was still practical and it still worked out for them. And once, once I saw that game two, I, I thought, all right, you know, this this, this could happen again. This, this could, you know, once again be one of those series where it seemed like the Spurs were the better team. and You know, they, 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 that was, you know last year they outscored them over the course of the series, but uh, in the biggest moments you still... You still want to put your money on the team that has LeBron on them. And I thought that might have been enough this series. But yeah, you're right. Looking back, the Spurs were the better team. The Spurs should have been the clear favorites in this series. And if we didn't have all that history with LeBron and with the Heat in the last two or three years, then maybe we, would have, we wouldn't have predicted this would have been so close to the series. But I think it's a lot easier to say that in retrospect than it was going into the series where the, you know, the Pacers had, had fallen to the Heat in such dramatic fashion. And LeBron was still LeBron.
1: Well, you mentioned LeBron. I mean, I know you know there's going to be a lot of fools out there who just look at it as well. It's another loss, and he's lost three finals. The guy averaged 28 points, seven rebounds, four assists, and two steals in this series. Like, and and shot amazingly from deep. Like he was f- super efficient. He did as much as he could. Um, mm-hmm. You know, unless you're considering him not going for 30 and 10 every night, disappointing. Which some people, again, fools do think that's disappointing. But uh, he he did all he could. Um, Bosh and Wade obviously. Really disappointing uh, On the Spurs side I want to touch on Kawhi Leonard of course The youngest Finals MVP since Tim Duncan I mean if that's not the most Spurs stat ever um, wh- What are your thoughts on Kawhi? I mean do you see this guy You know the whole star label That's the big question today Everyone likes to talk about stars All-stars, superstars What is Kawhi Leonard? You know where do you see him? Do you Are, are you coming around to the fact That maybe this guy is this, You know an all-star caliber player Could be an all-star on other teams Or do you see it as he's a solid player Who had a good series?
0: I don't think there's any doubt that he he can be an all-star caliber player. I I wouldn't be surprised if he made his first all-star team next year or one or two years after that at most. Uh, Will he be that franchise guy? I I think the final is probably going to result in in us asking a lot more of him next year, and maybe more than we probably should. Uh, But we sort of saw this last year with Paul George. He had that kind of breakout series against the Heat, and then... Yeah, he exploded to start the regular season. And then he kind of came back down to earth, and now he looks like he's on kind of a more natural uh, scale of progression throughout his career. And I think we'll probably see the same thing with Kawhi. I think he's going to be better next year. I don't think he's going to be an MVP candidate, or at least I think you know if he looks like one at first, I think he's eventually going to come back down to the team, because we've never seen him take on that kind of star level usage. We, we've always seen him as a fourth option, a third option. Uh, you know, he, he still plays off of Timmy and Tony and Manu, and if he's asked to be kind of a focal point of the offense, you know, he might be able to do it eventually. And I think he has the talent to to, to do it on some level, but I don't think we're going to see him averaging 20 points a game next year. I, I don't think we're going to see him putting, you know, kind of laying it up. You know, I'm sure you saw the stat. He, he scored 20, 20 points in the last three finals games. He's never in his career before scored 23 games yeah. in a row. And that's incredible for a guy that we're now going to ask to be an all-star. We're going to ask to be something resembling a franchise player. Uh, all that being said, I, I do think we saw a new Kawhi in the series, a Kawhi that I personally have never seen before. I've never seen him be so aggressive. You know, There was that there was that three he took uh, in, in Game 5 where he popped in transition for it, and I, I can't remember ever seeing him doing that before, pulling up for a three in transition. You know, that, that, that would seem like kind of the least Kawhi Leonard type of play. It's, it's almost borderline selfish, almost borderline bad shot. Uh, but he had the confidence to take it in the series, and he made it. And, and you saw him also isolating like, against LeBron from the wing. I don't think I've ever seen him do that before. You saw him just push the ball, under, and there, just push, it, push, it, push, and he would go one on two, one on three almost, and he would just kind of force the issue. And, and he's terrifying when he does that because he has such incredible athleticism and length, and he's, he's, he's developing moves, and he's, he's, he's pretty on a shot. But, you know, we, we saw him do it for three games. Now we have to see him do it for an entire season, and, and I think he'll probably be able to do that eventually. I don't think next year's going to be the year for that. I think he's going to take a small step. He's going to continue making small steps. And eventually, I wouldn't be surprised if he was his first franchise player, but I think we're going to ask too much of him that he's not going to be able to provide next year if we expect him to be like this the entire season.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely with you on that, and I, I also agree about uh, the way his offense seemed to grow leaps and bounds all year, and you saw it in the finals, like you mentioned. Uh, last night, the Spurs' first lead came off Kawhi grabbing a defensive rebound, leading the fast break, and then pulling up for a splash three in transition. Uh, game three, when he had that, that huge outburst, the 29 points, the most he had scored since high school, <laughs> um, it, was, it was a really complete offensive game. You know, he hit some threes early. He took yep. guys into the post when he recognized the size mismatch. Uh, so I think he is developing really nicely on the offensive side. His defense is already elite. Um, and even if he can't ever be the kind of guy where, you know, you just give him the ball and he can break down a deep... I don't know if he'll ever be that kind of guy. But if he can evolve into, you know, like a solid number two option for a good contending team on the offensive side of the ball i think you take that when you look at what his defense provides sure, and, yeah. and that's one thing i was going to mention when you were saying and i agree with you that i i don't think he's going to be this kind of offensive player next year i i definitely agree but in a way i don't think he has to be because of how good his defense is and i think that's where a lot of the star talk is unfair and it's something that i would mention with paul george last year too or mm-hmm. these guys that are so good defensively people always look at it as like well you know can he average 20 a game can he be a true star well how come on the offensive side, you know, when a guy can average 20 or 25 a game and can't guard a pylon on the other end, we never say about them, you know, well, he's got to defend to be a true star. Uh, I, I know it's because scoring is sexy, but uh, I think when, when you look at a guy like Kawhi Leonard, he's an already an all-defensive team member at 22 years old, which for the most part means he's right in and around the top 10 in the NBA in defense. From a voting perspective, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, if a guy was a an All NBA offensive player, maybe he was a top ten, top fifteen offensive player. I don't know how many people would be saying, "Well, he's got to defend at an elite level to truly be a star."
0: Sure, and I think the uh, the difference here uh, with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, the example we keep coming back to from last year, is that uh, Kawhi doesn't really have to develop as a as a playmaker and primary scorer right away. You know. The, with with the, the Pacers, they were so lacking in, in playmaking and, and kind of high-volume scoring that they kind of needed to look to Paul George, especially after Danny Granger, kind of he was diminished by injury and age. And they needed Paul George to kind of step up and start being that guy who makes plays off the dribble, who hits his open threes and who who, do, who does everything that first option needs to do on offense so they can kind of revolve the rest of the team around him. uh Quiet doesn't have to do that. Uh, he, he certainly doesn't have to this year, and he probably won't have to for several years to come because he has uh, you know, Tony Parker and Monte Ginobili to kind of be, be the, the focus of, of the team in terms of the guy who brings the ball up court, the guy who starts the possession, the guy who who hits the role man and, and, and make, makes plays. quite can kind of play off them and, until the rest of the game comes around, and, and you know, we've, we've seen more of that, and we'll continue to see more of that, I think. But he can kind of develop at his own pace and at the pace that the Spurs feel comfortable with developing him. And, and I, I think you're right in that he, he already is kind of a star. If you look at him as, as, as a two-way player and, and, and take his stats from both sides of the ball, he probably contributes almost as much to a game as somebody like Carmelo Anthony, who is such an incredible volume scorer, but you know, doesn't necessarily contribute that much on the other end. If you take their, their contributions in aggregate, they're probably closer than you think, and we feel be more, far more comfortable calling Carmelo a star than we would Kawhi Leonard. And I also think, you know, I might be jumping the gun a little bit here, but, uh, you know, obviously, a, a, the Sixers have been heavily invested in draft, and, the, and one, one of the, the marquee players being talked about is Andrew Wiggins. And I saw a lot of people talk over the course of these finals, kind of posing the, the rhetorical question, well, if if Andrew Wiggins, who's not really much of a playmaker either, not much of a, a first-option scorer yet, but, but he's an incredible defender, if he develops into a player like Kawhi Leonard, would that be good enough for the number one, number two, number three overall pick? I think the answer is yes. I think the answer is that if you get a guy who, who can definitely give you elite defense and incredible athleticism and, and versatility on that end, and he can be a, a, a net plus on offense and maybe has the potential to be more than that, but he's definitely going to contribute in uh, doing the things you, you know he can do, not taking anything away from anything off the table from that end, I, I think that that is a player who can be considered an elite player, who can be considered a, a star, and somebody who would be worthy of a top-three type pick.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, if you're, uh, if I had the number one pick, you know, as a GM or as a fan of the team that had the number one pick or a top three pick, whatever it is, and someone said, okay, you're going to get a guy who, he's not going to be a LeBron or Durant, you know, because those guys come around once every so many years, but he's going to be a all defensive type player and the type mm-hmm. of guy who his offense can maybe get hot and take over a series before the age of 23, I'd say absolutely, absolutely. Abso- yeah. Um, I think the one question that really interests me with Quiet and has always kind of fascinated me is on one hand, sometimes I ask myself, you know, what kind of numbers offensively could he put up if, say, he had been put in a situation like Paul George where he maybe had to be given a greater offensive responsibility or if he had been maybe drafted by a team where it was a horrible team and he was just given the ball. And on the flip side, I see it as, well, how would his development have been stunted if, say, he had ended up in like a place like Charlotte or Milwaukee and had just been jacking 20 shots a game?
0: Yeah, it's impossible to say for sure, and I don't pretend to know the answer to that question. And I don't think anyone would, but I think that I mean, with someone like Kawhi, with the kind of demeanor that he has, and where he's sort of an unassuming guy, and it kind of took him this long to to show that kind of first option aggressiveness as he did in these finals. That I think it probably would have been doing him something of a disservice to kind of throw him into the fray and say, "Here's the ball, and I'm get us 18 a game, you know, in your first second year." Uh, could he have been able to do it? It's possible. Uh, would it have started long-term development? Maybe. I, I think that ultimately he and most fans would agree that this was probably the best path for him and that maybe he'll get to that point eventually where he can just kind of give him the ball and, and tell him to go get us a basket. Uh, and then If that happens in a fifth or sixth year, as opposed to a second or third, uh, I, I don't think it really matters how early he could have done it. I, I think the fact that he, he's coming along the schedule is, is more than anyone could have reasonably asked of him. and uh, I, I think that this, this is this is going to be close to the ideal situation for him, and especially since he uh, kind of comes from that that culture of players that don't uh, you know, demand too much personal attention off the court, don't necessarily feel comfortable being the post game interview. I mean, he, if there isn't if there's is more natural successor to Tim Duncan in that respect, I can't think of who it would possibly be.
1: Let's stick with the big fundamental for a second, and I'll just ask you: Do you want, as a, as a general basketball NBA fan, do you want to see Pop and Duncan? Retire, walk off into the sunset right now, or do you want to see them come back and try to and try to defend that crown one more time and go for a sixth?
0: I mean, I would certainly like to see them go for the sixth. I think that you know the Spurs have kind of done a good job the last decade or so of kind of building in these natural potential endpoints for them the way they structure their salary and the years of the the contracts to their marquee players. They have a kind of another one of these decision years coming up after next season. Where almost everybody on their team, except for, I think Thiago Splitter, is, is a potential free agent. You know, tim has got that player option for this year. The exercise of that, he'll be a he'll be free agent at the end of that year. So will Tony and then Manu and a bunch of their other star guys, uh, even Kawhi, if he doesn't sign an extension. Uh, and I think at that point, that would be the natural moment where, where Tim could kind of look at it and say, all right, well, we had a good run, but now it's, you know, time for the team to start rebuilding and looking towards the future. And maybe it's best if I'm not a part of that. Uh, but he's playing at such a high level now. I think that he very reasonably could have been named the M V P that series. I mean his numbers were great. I think he averaged, you know, fifteen and ten. Uh yeah he's, he's the
1: he's the oldest to average fifteen and ten in a final since Tim Duncan last year.
0: Well that that's pretty much all only need to you know about Tim Duncan, but the fact that he's still playing on that high level and he was incredible on defense, especially yeah. uh, in that last game I thought there there's so many of those verticality plays at the rim where you we know, would go in for a layup, and you'd he he would go in and try to either get the contact, you go up over him, and it just wasn't happening. He, he, he was a he was a force in the paint, and there was also that that series possessions on offense where you know, he took he took them in the post and scored on a couple of them, and he kind of got the crowd going. And he you know those, those possessions were the most demoralizing of any I think for the Heat. And uh, it, it seems impossible to me that that he would take a look at this series and see how well he was playing and how well the team was playing around him, and it's such a beautiful. Just beautiful basketball to watch, and it must have been even more beautiful to play. I can't believe you'd want to walk away from that, even on top, even at his age, and even as uh, having accomplished as much as he's accomplished. I think that if you've got to do that in the next year, uh, I think it's a much, much more natural endpoint to do at the end of next season. After they can go for the six, you can maybe tie MJ, and he and Popovich can kind of ride off into the sunset together.
1: Yeah, and and, and what I'd add to that is, you know, the, the people that seem to want them to ride off into the sunset are these people that are saying just that, oh, you know, it'd be great for them to go out on top. And I kind of want to grab these people and shake them and just be like, have you learned nothing over the last 15 years? What makes you think that they can't do this again next year? Like, what about this year is different than last year? We are like, okay, well, now it's really the end of their run and they got that championship, so they should ride off under the sunset before everything starts going downhill. No, these are the freaking Spurs. It's Popovich. It's Duncan. I don't know. I think, you know, expecting them to repeat is maybe a little too much, but... Anyone who's expecting any kind of big drop off next year is smoking some really powerful stuff. Like the Spurs are going to be back and they're going to be a factor again. They're the defending champions. And Duncan, maybe he'll average in the 50 and 10 range and that'll be good enough. And Kawhi will take another step. And maybe Popovich won't play anyone more than 15 minutes a game next year and they'll still win 55 games. Like they can just, they can come back next year and still ride off into the sunset. I don't know why people are making it seem like, well, they got to leave now.
0: Yeah, I think we maybe need to stop talking about windows altogether when yeah. discussing the Spurs. I, I think that they proven that, I mean, not, not only are there, are there veteran players still playing on such an unbelievably high frame level, but their young guys are starting to join them. I mean, forget about Kawhi Leonard for a minute. How, how big was Danny Green in this series? How, how big was he with the three point shooting and the defense on Wade? You know, he was playing transition. He he was incredible. I thought he he had an, a case to three or four games as being as, uh, as important to their success as just about anybody on the roster. And you saw what Patty Mills did last night. with the, the, the five threes off the bench, and you know could he be the long term successor to Tony Parker? Or maybe, maybe not, but he, he he could be an important part of their future. Now these guys aren't necessarily going to replace Tony and Timmy and Manu. Uh, I, I I don't know that anybody could or, or would, but they at least are. You know they're extending you know, they're. they're their window another year, another year after that. It, 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 these new guys keep stepping up. to keep uh, the Spurs keep finding them, and they're plucking them out of the, the you know the, the end of the first round and the scrap keep on free agency. And they have a first round pick this year too. Who knows who they're who they're going to get? They, they, they could get the steal of the draft at number thirty, and nobody I think would be surprised by that. And with, with Duncan, I mean. Even though it talks about how he could potentially retire at the end of next year and that'd be kind of a natural endpoint, point, there's no reason to think that he'll definitely do that. You can play until he's forty two for all I know. He can play until he's forty six. He he's shown so few uh, signs of obvious decline. And the Spurs have done such an unbelievably brilliant job managing his minutes, managing his game time, make, making sure that he doesn't hit that period where he just kinda of runs straight into the wall and, and you know, he, he he runs out of gas in game two of the finals that there's, there's really no telling where the Spurs go from here, but I, I think that their future is as bright as anybody's. Their future is, There's no reason to think that the Thunder's going to have a better next five years than the Spurs, even though it seems like the Thunder should be, you know, ascending to the throne by now and the Spurs should be receding into the darkness. It hasn't happened yet. And there's no reason to think it will happen at this point.
1: Yeah, completely agreed. Now, on South Beach, things are a, f- a lot less certain. Um Obviously, I, th- I think anyone who pretends to know what LeBron is thinking or Dwayne or Bosch or any of those guys is thinking is lying, first of all, uh, unless they're a close family or friend of LeBron's. Uh, so just from your gut perspective, watching the season play out, watching LeBron over the last few years in the Big Three, how do you think this unfolds in Miami?
0: Well, I thought before the, the playoffs started and even before the regular season started this year that it would have taken an outright disaster to break up the Heatles, I think that you know, if they if they had gone down in fives to the Nets, that would have been a consideration. If they had just gotten blown out of the gym by the Pacers, that might have changed things. I think the fact that they made four straight finals, and lost to a team that everybody agrees is just one of the best, the best basketball teams of the 21st century. I think you put them in the discussion. Uh, I don't. I don't think there's any shame in that, and I don't think that the Heat are looking at that and just saying, "Oh, oh my God, we're just not good enough to, to to compete going forward." I think they realize they got beat by a better team this year, but. Uh, you know, they all have these opt out options uh, in their contracts and this summer and the next summer. I think that even if this wasn't enough to scare them into jumping ship entirely, it might be enough to scare them into saying, okay, we need to come together and collectively we need to maybe take a, you know, another pay cut, you know, go, go down to 14 or 15 million a year each. And we'll sign for the long term and we'll hopefully, we'll, we, we'll either get a fourth guy or we'll get a bunch of younger mid level guys to kind of shoulder the load, maybe give, the, give, give us some bench depth that we haven't really had the last few years. And to just take pressure off of our main guys, so that when we get to game five of the finals, as we did this year, you know, we we, do, we don't have LeBron run out of gas by by trying to do everything himself in the first quarter. We don't, and we we have somewhere we can turn to if, if we have to if we have to bring someone like Ray Allen into the starting lineup. We don't have a completely depleted bench that just offers us nothing. So I, I think that's where things go for the Heat. I think they look to kind of expand their roster. They look to they they re sign the big three. I don't see any of them jumping ship. I definitely don't see LeBron jumping ship. Uh, and I, I think that they, they make for a, be another go-ahead next year with uh, hopefully a, a more of a complete team that's going to kind of uh, question, you know, compete against a, the balance of a team like the Spurs.
1: Yeah, I, I think staying in Miami is their best bet, only because mm-hmm. um, just you look at the state of the Eastern Conference still, uh, even with Wade playing maybe 50 to 60 games next year, I still think LeBron at the level he's still at, and even Bosch at still a, a well-above all-star level, is more than enough in the Eastern Conference. Uh, to at least be one of the favorites, if not the outright favorite, again, to coast through the Absolutely. conference. So I think the way you look at it is like, yeah, are there better teams in the West? Absolutely. Um, but you're going to you're gonna have this opportunity to basically coast through the East if you stay relatively healthy. So regardless of how good the West is, you're always going to put yourself in position to get to that point where you're just four wins away, basically, from a title. Mm-hmm. And you'll have LeBron James on your side. So I think their best bet is just to stick it out in Miami for at least another year or two, if not longer, Try to just keep dominating the East, getting to the finals, and even if it's a you know uh, a heavily favored team coming from the West, you still have LeBron James in the best of seven series, and I think you take those chances any day of the week.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I do think that the one priority for the offseason is to get younger. I think that you know we saw this year that. You know, You look at this year's roster compared to last year's roster. Everybody's a year older, and and almost everybody on the team was worse than they were last year. And they just just didn't have the legs at the end of the the season to to really contribute much. And I I think they they do need something. They they need younger legs to help take the pressure off their main guys. And I I think if they can add one or two players that you know in their mid twenties have a little bit of upside remaining, that 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 could go a long way towards kind of keeping the heat vital uh, towards the end of the run. And Hopefully, and as you say, they really don't have a lot of competition coming up from behind on them. The, the, the rebuilding teams from from this year's Tank of Blues are still two or three years away. The Pacers are certainly look like they're even in a stickier spot than the Heat are. Uh, maybe the Bulls make a big trade, maybe they don't, but you know they certainly haven't had any success against the Heat in, in postseason's past. So, yeah, they, you, you reload a little bit. And they, you know, I don't think they go out and get a superstar like Carmel Anthony, as some people are suggesting, but you, you reload a little bit. Uh, you you feel better about your roster going into next year and you you can probably still get your way through the East and then you take a chance in the finals,
1: yeah. Uh, Really quickly wanted to just uh, let you know I I wrote something last week uh, when all the mellow stuff was coming out that I was saying you know, if these guys are actually serious about potentially taking less money to incorporate a fourth guy I think the Heat should go after Kyle Lowry and that pains me as a a Raptors fan because I would loathe the day that they lose the Raptors lose someone to Miami again but I mean I just the way I see it is obviously Melo is Melo and he's the star name but you know Melo's a great offensive player and a big negative on defense and you look at the Heat this season in particular you look at what happened in the finals you know the Heat don't have trouble scoring they're not going to have trouble scoring really with LeBron and Bosh and even Wade in there half the time but they weren't that good defensively you know Kyle Lowry First of all, he's a point guard, and he's in a well above average point guard, something the Heat have never had in this Big Three era. He can take a huge load off of LeBron's shoulders in that he can competently run an offense, and more importantly, he can defend his position as well as almost anybody in the league. So I'm not saying that it's at all in the cards, because, you know, he's going to command a big salary, so it would, it would just like Melo take those guys taking uh, pay cuts. But, I'm just saying if the Heat actually are willing to take pay cuts to incorporate a fourth guy, I think they should be going after Kyle Lowry, not Carmelo Anthony.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more on that. I think, you know, if you you can add Melo, there there aren't a lot of teams that would turn that option down, uh, but... I just don't see it as being practical. The, the, the sacrifice that the victory we we're going to have to make in terms of both money and touches is just, just to get that guy in there and he plays kind of the same position as LeBron. we they have to move his weight to the bench. I, I, I don't know how that would work exactly. Now, I think they, they would be willing to find that out and most most Heat fans would be fine with taking the chance on that too. But you're right. I think that if, if they do have the, the means and the motivation to find kind of a fourth guy that Lowry is far the best fit out there on the open market. He wouldn't cost as much as Melo. He wouldn't demand as much. I mean, the point cards so would demand touches, but he wouldn't really demand the shine of the team because he, he's not as established as those other three guys. They could kind of make sure that he stays in line to a certain extent and they'd have the credibility to do that. And he does offer them something that, that Melo doesn't, which is you the know, you know, production of the point guard position, which, as you say, they've never really had on that level before. Defensive tenacity, the, the competitiveness—he uh, he would be pretty close to an ideal fit. And he's also younger than Carmelo, and I think that, that that's something that they're going to have to start looking at as the Heat, uh, you know, kind of move closer into the wrong side of thirty. And now, now they're they're all in the thirties now, and that's going to be a consideration moving forward. And getting a younger guy with a, the, the physicality and the energy of somebody like Lowry would be a huge boon for them. I, I don't know if they would want to put all their eggs in his basket, because you know he has that. Kind of temperamental streak to him, and you know he, he has a reputation for kind of treating with coaches and and kind of outstaying his welcome a little bit. But as I, I, we're on a Houston, I would I would say that they should be going after Kyle Lowry as well.
1: As a Raptors fan, all I can say is that I really uh, sincerely hope that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't want that... to
0: see you yet, man. I don't, I'm rooting for him to stand Toronto I think that's his place, but uh, I look out if we can get Kyle Lowry. <laughs>
1: Yeah, because I was gonna say I really hope Pat Riley doesn't listen to this to our podcast, <laughs> Andrew. Because if he does, I'm pretty sure we just sold him on on Kyle Lowry in Miami
0: uh, for yeah, obvious we'll end soon, huh?
1: for obvious reasons. We've obviously touched on the Spurs and Heat a lot for the first uh, about half hour here. Real quick, we'll kind of move forward into the off season and the 28 other teams. Specifically, you mentioned Tanka So with the draft coming up, you know, less than a week, about a week and a half away now, uh, you're a Sixers fan, obviously. Do you Mm -hmm. see the top three shaping up the way most see it, where Cleveland takes Embiid, Milwaukee apparently likes Parker more than Wiggins, and then Wiggins falls to Philly? Uh, Do you see it shaping up like that, or do you think there's a surprise in store on draft night?
0: Uh, Well, I definitely think there's going to be surprises in store on draft night. I don't know if it's coming in the top three or later on, but I I think this is going to be one of the less predictable drafts that we've had in recent years. I I think... I do think Embiid eventually ends up going number one. Uh, I mean, you, you hate to hesitate to say what the Cavs are going to do because they've proven such a wild card the last few years, so they're on detriment for the most part. But uh, I think Embiid... You know, I, I watched college basketball this year, and this guy was the best prospect. I mean, say what you will about Wiggins and the upside and Parker and how he can step in right away, but the, the, the skill that Embiid had, the guy who's played for three years and he's, his, his unbelievable size and athleticism and the way he moves and the... The smarts that he has especially, especially at such a young age, I, I think that he's the guy. And I think the Cavs see that. I think the Cavs fans are trying to come around to that on that bandwagon. And, you know, you said Adrian Wojnarowski, who doesn't tend to be uh, hyperbolic about these things, he tweeted that, you know, he said he saw MB workout and he thought there's no way that he doesn't go number one. In the Wozniak or something like that, And I, I tend to take that as gospel. Uh, but then again, uh, you, you, so you never know what's with, with, with the Cavs. And you, you never know what's going to happen in workouts the next few weeks. You never know what's going to happen with Embiid's medical history. And you never know what Cam Hincky is going to do either. Uh, you know, everyone kind of presumes that Wiggins is the Fixers guy. And I think there's good reason for that, that he, he fits so well into their sort of up tempo, full court style of play. And we, we so badly need wing defenders and, and, and people who can get outside shots. And I think it seems to be shaping up for, for Wiggins to go to the Fixers there. But I wouldn't be surprised if Hinky still has his eyes on it as well. I wouldn't be surprised if, if Hinckley's still eyeing Dante Exumson from Australia. Uh, there are trades to consider. There's so much going on in this draft, and I, I think we don't know as much as we think we know that the Bucks could take anybody at number two. And I, I think anybody who goes into this draft saying, that, oh, yeah, it's going to fall one, two, three like this, uh, they don't know what they're talking about. Nobody knows what they're talking about.
1: Yeah, so, uh, I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, I think one of the more fascinating things I read, I I don't remember who wrote it, but I was reading it earlier, or sorry, last week, was about, um, I don't know if you saw last week, there were some reports that maybe uh, Embiid's medical issues were kind of concerning Cleveland or that you know he went there for a medical and and they weren't too happy with the results. and then I was reading that it could all be this you know elaborate plan because Philly might be tra- <laughs> Philly might be trading up to number 1 and Hinkie yeah, wants number I'm 1 sure. but because he wants to make sure Wiggins is there for him and then Cleveland would therefore only be saying that Embiid's back is bad to make sure Milwaukee passes on him at 2 so then he's still available to them at 3 just all these different different machinations and I think uh I think that's what makes draft night so fun, especially in a year like this with so many great prospects is that we do a, we don't know what the hell's going to happen. Uh, but there's so many names there and so many different things that can happen. And I just love all the, I know some people hate all the talk and all the mock drafts, but I love it this time of year. I love thinking of all the different scenarios.
0: No, it's great. Of course. It's it's unbelievable fun. And the good news for the teams at the top this year uh, is that it, it certainly seems like no matter how it shakes out, everybody's going to end up with somebody that's going to that is going to be a, a big difference maker for the franchise. And you know, it goes down to the top eight, and even, even further from there, with the depth of this draft. It seems like you know, the, 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 there's 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 obviously some stakes uh, involved in whether you get Wiggins or Parker or Embiid, but. I don't, think, I don't think anybody's going to come out of this draft as an immediate loser. I mean, if, if there is a loser, we're not going to know about it for years down the line, and I, I think everyone's just going to have fun on this draft. I, I think it's going to be one of the more interesting ones we've ever had.
1: Is there a guy maybe outside, you know, the top three or even outside that top eight that we usually talk about that uh, that you think is kind of this un- under-the-radar potential star out there, a potential steal in the first round?
0: Well, I don't think anybody's under the radar at this point. I mean, there's so much draft coverage that I, I, I think even fans teams that don't have picks in the lottery. They, they, they know who, you know, Christoph Prozingis is, and or, or they, they know who Cle Anthony Early is. And the, the, the level of exposure that all of these guys get as, as potential sleepers, potential busts, whatever, is, is unbelievable. But I, I, don't, I don't try to pretend that I have you know the one name that's going to really blow somebody's socks off to it comes to draft time. I think the two guys that I'm most curious about uh, past the top eight are probably Zach Levine and Adrian Payne, who are kind of these... these mirror images, flip images of one another, whereas uh, Levine uh, was this UCLA combo guard who really produced very very minimally in uh, his one season for UCLA, uh, but he has this unbelievable body and this unbelievable uh, jumping ability, and he can shoot at the gym, and he's he's got as much upside as anybody in the top eight of the draft, but we've just never seen it in any kind of consistent, uh, kind of consistent manner. Uh, so some teams is going to draft him in the, the top 15, probably, and they, they might get uh, the next superstar of the draft. They might get this guy who just can't play basketball. Uh, whereas Adrian Payne, uh, you know, Levine's only 19 years old. He uh, I mean, might, might even yet turn 19. But Payne, I think, is already 23. He, he's, he's older than some guys who are already stars in the NBA. Uh, but he was one of the most complete players in college basketball last year. He was a, he was a power forward from, from Michigan State. Uh, he can play inside and outside. He's strong. He's tough uh he's, he's pretty athletic for a guy with his build he's, he's good on defense he seems like a leader uh but he already might be approaching a ceiling as a player uh and, and nobody really knows for sure about that so we have this this one guy who's got incredible upside but the zero production on this other guy who, who produces as well as anybody in the draft but but might not have anywhere to go from there it's gonna be fascinating for me to see who who goes first and who ends up having a better nba career and and it'll be kind of an interesting test case for, for a lot of different people in the
1: draft yeah I think a couple of names for me um, that kind of stick out is guys that are fascinated to see where they go and what they do are uh, one Dario Saric the international yeah, prospect not- and the reason I'm so fascinated by him is because I mean obviously we, we don't get to watch the international guys as much as we can watch mm-hmm. the college guys but you know we always talk about that top eight you know the Embiid Wiggins, Parker, Exum, Gordon, Von Lee, Smart, Randall those guys are kind of seen as like the class of the draft um, and then there's the rest of them. But I've seen some dra- uh, mock drafts and even some reports from you know, scouts online about how Saric Sarich could be in that group and could steal a top yep. eight spot from one of those guys. So, I mean, he, the potential is obviously there based on that. But then there's also the fact that he might not even be in the draft. We'll find, I think it's uh, as of 5 p.m. today, we should know for sure whether yeah. he's in or out. So, he's a fascinating name to me. And then the other one is Alfred Payton. Um, Point guard at Louisiana Lafayette Another one of those guys we didn't really see that often And I, to be honest, had no idea Who he was until maybe a month ago And then started reading about him And how he's this really big point guard Who's super athletic, it can dunk in your face But can't really shoot Uh, But he can defend really well So he's one guy that I've seen some mocks Where he's as high as, you know, between 10 to 15 And then some where he's barely a first round pick So uh, those are two names that I'm keeping an eye on
0: yeah, no, no doubt. Uh, Sarich, as a as a fan, you know, we we have number three pick and the number ten pick, and uh, we, we a lot of them not drafts have was targeting Sarah with the number ten pick. And I I, I got to be honest, I'm kind of hoping that he that he withdraws from the draft today because as, as good as a player as he might end up being, I, I'm terrified of him. I'm I'm terrified because I haven't seen any of him, you know, beyond the the, the YouTube compilations, and the, the the Draft Express videos and stuff like that. Uh, I just I just don't know about this guy, and I don't as you say, he might not even come over for a year or two. And even though I know that if, if the Sixers do grab him, he might end up being a smart play long-term, there's just so much of the unknown with him that, that he, he does scare me off a little bit. Uh, Peyton, actually, uh, he, 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 I, I think he was a Fleabur first, and now yeah, say, he's been bumped up in some of these mocks some of them even have him going in the late lottery. Uh, I only saw one game of his last year. I saw this, the tournament game he had against Creighton, he looked great. He looked like a, kind of a, a bigger and more athletic Brandon Jennings, which is pretty exciting for a lot of teams. But uh, you, you don't know because he played for Louisiana last year, and then you know you only had one or two really high-profile games this season. I, I, I read somewhere like a breakdown of the, the games he had against the highest level of competition in the NCAA. It was pretty minimal last year, and it, it was pretty up and down. You know, Some games he showed up, some games he didn't. And I think that's going to be a lot of what we, what you get out of Alfred Payton for his, his first few years. He's going to be kind of an inconsistent player. He's going to be a frustrating player, but he's going to be an absolutely brilliant player and, and, and a super exciting player sometimes. So I, I think if you have a, a – if you don't have one specific area of need for your team, you just need to kind of upgrade your general level of talent, and then I think Peyton's a pretty good bet. If you're a team that's one piece away and you're not really sure, you don't want to add any kind of volatility to the mix, then I'd probably stay away from Peyton. But he's definitely going to be one of the most fun players to watch in his first few years.
1: With Saric, like everything I read about Saric, it almost reminds me of when I was first reading and learning about Jan Vesely uh, a couple no, a few God, years ago. Don't get yeah, me, don't 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 get don't me wrong, I, I know that, that name sends Shudders. Uh, through the minds of anyone who, who remembers that draft and, you know, thinks about international prospects. But uh, there was a time when Jan Vesely was considered a really great, you know, athletic uh, wing perimeter player. So uh, who knows with uh, Saric. Before we go, you know, the season technically begins today. Uh, is there maybe a storyline or something that you're going to be monitoring or most intrigued by this summer in terms of the NBA?
0: I think the most interesting teams to follow this summer are going to be the Thunder and the Bulls. Uh, I think they're they're kind of the two teams that sort of stuck in the the second or third place in in their conference. The the Bulls have fallen to the heat so many times. The Thunder have now fallen to the Spurs. And I think that they they have the two most promising cores uh, outside of the teams that made the finals this year, but they're they're still one move, one player, one, one something away. Uh, and they've both kind of shown reluctance in the off-seasons past to make that one big move to kind of put them you know, really o- over the top or, all, you know, put them on the same level as the Heat and the Spurs. And I think this is the, this is the season, this is the summer that they're going to have to actually do that. You know, the Thunder are probably going to have to finally start to leverage some of the younger guys, you know, Jeremy Lamb or Steven Adams or Curry Jones or whoever, and then try to go after a veteran or uh, some sort of difference maker like, like Aaron follow maybe, or Anderson Varejao, or some other guy that gives them something they don't already have. So I don't think their roster is good enough at the moment. And the Bulls, they might, they might go after you know, anyway, they might go after Kevin Love, they might go after Carmelo Anthony, and if, if they got one of those guys. That would certainly put them in a position to challenge Miami next year. They might be literally the only team in the East that's in that position. So I, I think now is the time for both of those teams. Uh, you know their cores are still young, but they're not getting any younger, and, and they're eventually going to have to make those those big moves, those all-in moves, to try to put a challenge to these teams. And I, I can't wait to see what they do.
1: Yeah, the Bulls actually really really intrigued me. Um, for me, yeah. it's uh, it's all about the Kevin Love sweepstakes. Um, with free agency, don't get me wrong, Like free agency is extremely fascinating with the guys that could be free agents and the guys that already are. But with free agency, because it's kind of like we know you know, it's going to be between that July 1st to about July 14th, 15th. Like by the middle of July, we'll know where all these guys are going for the most part. Whereas with Love, because it's a trade scenario and we don't even know if he's going to get traded, it's one of those things where like... We can wake up tomorrow morning and Kevin Love could get traded or, you know, it could be just yeah. a random Tuesday in August and Kevin Love gets <laughs> traded in a blockbuster. So I think that's what it's makes voir to have
0: that, those on your phone, then.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and but that's what makes the love situation so interesting to me. First of all, it's ridiculously rare to have a guy of his magnitude in his prime traded. You know, other mm-hmm. than Chris Paul, most of the guys of that level that move teams it's through free agency and you know sorry I don't put Mellow in Kevin Love's class uh, but yeah so to me that's the the most interesting storyline of the summer because we just don't know if it's going to happen you know what the timeline is can we wake up tomorrow when Kevin Love is you know all of a sudden on a contender and the other thing I'm really looking forward to is Summer League uh, actually being must watch TV not because Summer League matters but because you know, everyone's gonna to want to watch Wiggins' first summer league game and Parker's and Embiid. So, I, I think that's another thing I am really looking forward to.
0: Uh, yeah, and I think the uh, the first Sixers summer league game this year is gonna be the most exciting game the Sixers have played since Game One of the two thousand one Finals. I like, yeah, think it's gonna be the most watched game that we played in since then. So, who's uh, gonna be
1: uh, who's gonna be Allen Iverson and who's gonna be Tyron Luke? Because someone's gonna yeah. That's
0: that's a real question. I'll have to see who they're playing against, but. uh so it's not going to be Michael Carter-Williams, unfortunately. So yeah, he's, had, he's having shoulder surgery, and he, he's probably not going to be back in time for the summer league, so maybe it'll be Tony Arroyo and then he was hoping.
1: <laughs> all right, well, that sounds like an exciting summer, Andrew. Um, yeah, man, I can't wait. All right, as always, thanks for joining us. I'm sure we will uh, be talking soon, maybe after the draft, once your Sixers make their uh, franchise-altering selection.
0: I look forward to speaking to you there, sir. All right, Have good season, going. man. All right, good
1: off you. All right, thanks as always to Andrew Unterberger for joining us. You can check out his stuff on the Score app and the thescore.com. Thanks as always to Ryan Eli in the producer's chair, and thanks to the listeners. For another episode of Points in the Paint, I'm your host, Joseph Kashara.
0: Hey, if you haven't already, do the right thing. Subscribe to Points in the Paint on iTunes, and be sure to follow Joe on Twitter, at Joseph Cicharro.